Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. This summer, we will be having services on Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11.15 a.m. We are located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. So you, you may know this already, but if you're hanging out with a known liar, you have to second guess everything that they say, right? You can never count on anything being true. You never know where that lie is going to come from. I was hanging out with my nephew last week. Uh, he came down for a whole week, stayed with uh, Lindsay and me. He did VBS with us and everything. And he is awesome, really, really good kid. Uh, but he's 10 years old, and he just lies. Uh, he lies, like just to get out of doing stuff or if he wants to do something he's not allowed, he'll just lie about it. And, uh, you know, it only took a couple days for me to pick up on this. But one morning we wake up and uh, he doesn't want to eat his breakfast. I'm like, no, you got you to gotta eat your breakfast. He's like, I'm not hungry. No, I'm like, no, you, you really need, you need to eat your breakfast. He's like, I can't, I can't. And my wife, who didn't get to spend as much time with him yet, uh, was just like, oh, you know, maybe we shouldn't force him to eat. If he's not hungry, we don't need to make him eat. You know, childhood obesity is a thing. Like, don't make kids eat if they're not hungry. Uh, all of that. And my wife is so sweet. Uh, but then I, I start to remember that at VBS, we had a tent right outside. And under that tent was a, like three tray platter of cookies that Aiden would have to walk by every day on his way to VBS. And so I remember this and I say, Aiden, that's fine. If you don't want to eat your breakfast, you don't have to. But just so you know, if you don't eat your breakfast, you can't have any cookies at VBS. And it's funny how quickly his tune changed. Like all of a sudden, he had an appetite for his breakfast. Where did that come from? Uh, but of course, you know, spending the time with him, you have to, you have to second guess everything that they're saying because you know they'll just lie because it's convenient. And we live in a world where lying is just accepted everywhere, right? We, people are lying in the marketplace and our politicians are lying to us and the media is lying to us and truth is twisted and we have to second guess everything. Like it's hard to know what is true and what is false and it leads to so much conflict and rage and tension in our society. Like where we live now, so much of it is caused by just the, the lies and the half-truths in this world. And I think we all know lying's bad, right? We even have that, that old adage, what a, a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. deceive. You guys all know. We all know lying's bad. We should avoid it. Nod your head and agree, right? We all agree. Because if you, if you don't agree, just lie about it. We already know that you think that's okay. So you're not, lying, lying's bad. We shouldn't do it. And yet, we also know that there is a, a, a difference between not lying and telling the truth, right? Because you cannot lie but you can creatively use your words to disguise the truth and check that, you know, I'm not lying box. We can, you know, cover the moral, uh, the moral guilt piece of it and say, no, 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 I'm not lying. But we do these verbal gymnastics in such a way that we still conceal the truth, right? You guys are with me on this? Nobody's ever done this. Am I the only one? Uh, yeah, yeah, you guys are looking like not making eye contact. Uh, because, because we could do this. And, and part of our you know, avoiding of lying is because we, we know it's morally bad and we don't want to feel the guilt. And part of it is because we've recognized that it actually can be damaging to our interpersonal relationships and ourselves and society as a whole. And so we, we, we try to avoid it, and yet we will often kind of find these loopholes that we can use, right? 
And we've been in this series that we're talking about the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. And uh, we've been going through different areas in our lives where Jesus really does make a a drastic difference. And today we're going to be looking at the difference Jesus makes when it comes to truthfulness. When it comes to truthfulness. And we're going to be back in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have a Bible, you want to open up to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. Uh, You could use a, a app on your phone if you don't have a Bible, or there's brown Bibles in the seats in front of you that you'd use as well. And uh, if you want to pull that up, we're going to read it, but we're also going to kind of come back to it. So leave it open throughout the, the message, if you would. And just to give you a little context, all right, in Jesus' day, there were these religious leaders called the Pharisees. And they understood that lying was bad as well. But they came up with a whole system that kind of gave them loopholes to not have to be so truthful, to be able to uh, kind of disguise the truth, cover the truth a little bit, but also not feel guilty about it. And they did it through a system of oaths. And they would say certain things, and if it was under oath, uh, it would be binding. You would think, right? Anything you say under oath would be binding. Well, in their case, it really depended what the oath was made in, like what you swore on. So Jesus actually gives a couple of examples in a different part of Matthew. In Matthew 23, he says this. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, they're bound by that oath. And, and they had these kind of rules and loopholes to this system of oaths that kind of gave them an out. And it, it sounds a little childish. It's kind of like a, a glorified uh, system of kind of keeping your fingers crossed behind your back while you make a pinky promise. It's like, aha, my fingers were crossed the whole time. It's like, aha, I swore on the temple, not the gold of the temple. And they came up with all these loopholes, ways of getting out of, of being completely honest. And it's into this context context that Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. He says, again, you've heard that it said to people long ago, don't break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And don't swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus sees the system of oaths that they've created, and he just says, guys, drop this oath-making garbage. It's straight from the evil one. And Jesus seems like really strongly uh, focusing on oaths, which is a little strange because if you've been following with us or if you're familiar with this section of scripture, Jesus starts off about talking about like murder and then he talks about adultery and talks about divorce and he's like weighty things. And then he comes to oaths, which seems really kind of niche and narrow. It's like, how does this make it into the list? But when he's talking about oaths, he's not just talking about oaths in the sense of like promises or vows that we make or commitments. It includes that, but it really means anything that's said that's under oath. So, you know, like when we go into a court of law, when you say something under oath, it's not just vows and commitments. Anything that's said under oath, you're, you're saying this is true. So what Jesus is talking about is truthfulness in general, all right? That's how they would use oaths in, in this time. And so Jesus is speaking about truthfulness in general, and he says, guys, oaths, oaths are dangerous to truthfulness, And if you think about it for just a moment, it becomes apparent why. Because the moment you you insert oaths, the moment they come into the equation, all all of a sudden, something as binary as yes and no, right? It's binary. It's either yes or it's no. 
now, now is thrown on a continuum, right? Because with an oath, it's really, really yes, and there's really, really no, but there's all of this in between of, well, it's sort of yes, and it's kind of yes, and it's not really yes, and, and now it's not just black and white. There's no more yes and no. We have all these shades of gray to the truth, and the truth is compromised. And when, when we compromise the truth in this way, when we have this system that, like, all right, we have times, we have places where we could be really serious about what we say, that means in this middle ground, we can kind of be careless with what we say and how we say it, and we can speak flippantly, right? We don't guard our words. We don't weigh what we're committing to. We just kind of speak, and it, things come out. We might not have thought it through. It's flippant speech, but this flippant speech can actually erode credibility in the same way that lying can. What I want to do is I want to look at three different ways that flippant speech manifests itself pretty regularly in our lives, uh, but then look at, back at this passage to see how what Jesus says in this passage can really help us rethink how we, we guard our words. So the first manifestation of flippant speech is the little lies. Little lies. You know, they're the, the small ones. They're the lies that come... We're not trying to really deceive anybody. There's no malicious thought behind it. They're just those, those little, we call them white lies, right? It, they come from a place of, it's just easier for everybody, right? It's just convenient. It's when you're running late for work and you get into work and you see your boss and it's like, oh, I'm sorry I'm late. The trains were delayed this morning. And, and you know the trains were actually delayed, but not on your line. Like, that has nothing to do with why you're running late. Uh, but you just, like, throw, it's just easier. You know, you can just kind of, it's convenient. You avoid the consequences. Or, you're, you're, you know, you're, telling, you're talking to your kids, and they want to do something. You don't want them to do it. And it's really complicated why. So instead of explaining that to them, you just kind of make something up on the spot. And it's like, well, this is why. And you just kind of, it's a little white lie. It's not really hurting anybody here. You know, you and some of your coworkers go out to, to uh, grab some drinks after work. And one of your, your coworkers, your spouse gets like really, really jealous of. And so when you go home later, your spouse asks about them. And and you know, like, there's really nothing to worry about, but they don't. And, and so you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, uh, I, I don't know if they were there. Maybe they popped in for a couple of minutes. I, I don't really remember. I, yeah, you kind of play it like that, but reali realizing that they were there the whole time. You even had, like, conversations with them. But you just kind of sweep these things under the rug, and you're like, it's a little lie. It just makes this, this situation so much easier. If I told the truth, then it would be all complicated, and it would even be worse for them. So I'm, I'm protecting them. We come up with these excuses for why we tell these these little little lies. And there's an assumption behind these, these little lies, right? There's an assumption that God cares about the big lies. We know that. We would never tell a big lie because God cares about the big lies. But the little lies, God's not really concerned about. That's not so much his jurisdiction, right? And we could separate the big lies from the little lies and from God's realm of concern to the things that God's not so concerned about. And, and this is what the, uh, the, the same kind of distinction that the Pharisees and Jesus, they were doing, is they, they would create this distinction, and they would say, if you include God in the oath, then it was a binding oath, and God would be, you know, would care about the oath. But if you didn't include God in the oath, then it wasn't really that binding. It was no longer God's realm. You should kind of exclude God from it. So they would swear on heaven, or they would swear on earth, or whatever. And Jesus, into this, he says, no, 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 guys, don't you realize when you swear on heaven, that that's God's throne. When you swear on the earth, that's his footstool. When you swear on Jerusalem, that's the city of the great king. That there's, no, there's nothing you could swear on 
that isn't intimately God's, that, that he isn't woven into. There is no distinction between God's realm of concern and our realm of concern. God is concerned, yes, he's, he's transcendent, and he's great, and he's the God of heaven above all of these things, but he's also near, and he's imminently present, and he's intimately concerned with even the, the smallest details, and we can't, we can't parse these things out between things that God is concerned about and things that he's not. God is concerned about the details, and even the little lies, God is saying, no, 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 no. I'm, I, I notice these things. I'm, I'm a part of these things as well. You can't just exclude me out of it. The second manifestation of flippant speech is arrogant affirmations. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was actually called in to be a witness in a court hearing, which was kind of cool. Uh, the idea of it was cool. The, the, actual experiences, whatever. Uh, but I'm like, oh, this is cool. And I get there, and they, uh, the lawyer preps me and everything like that. And uh, I get in. I had to you know, do the whole swear. Like, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing about the truth, that whole thing. And, and I found out something interesting. Uh, it was easy to tell the truth. It was easy to tell the whole truth. It was not easy to tell nothing but the truth. Because <laughs> there were facts, yes, and I wanted to tell those facts, but interwoven with those facts, I also really wanted to give my opinion about those facts. <laughs> because I, you know, I had a horse in this race, I wanted to see the outcome go in a certain way, and I knew like, if, if you just know how I see these facts, that maybe that'll uh, you know, help you sway your uh, opinion about the situation. And in a court of law, they don't let you do that. They cut out any of that editorializing, right? But in regular everyday life, it's easy for us to take our opinions, which are our opinions, and blend them in the facts, with the facts in such a way that we start to speak with a kind of authority about things that we aren't authoritative about. And we have to be cautious. We have to be cautious here. Like, have you ever, have you ever uh, you know, told somebody uh, something that you, you really have no authority to say? Like, have you ever said, don't worry, it's going to get better? Have you ever let those words come out of your mouth? Because we don't know it's going to get better. You know, and we, we speak with a, a kind of authority that, that doesn't belong to us. And sometimes it comes in our, our opinions, right? Sometimes, and this is especially hard in the information age, right? Because we have so much information at our, our fingertips. Like 20 years ago, you would go to college, you would get a bachelor's degree, and then you'd go on to grad school, and you'd do all this research, and you would... Uh, do you know tons of reading and independent studies and stuff like that and then you'd write a thesis and in the end you have to defend that thesis and then you go on to your doctoral studies you do more research and countless pages of reading and more uh, interactions and studies and all of that and then you write a dissertation and then you have to defend that dissertation and in the end you would be an expert and in 2018 you watch a couple of documentaries on Netflix and you listen to half a podcast and you're an expert now in the field. And uh, we have access to so much information that we can kind of feel like we're experts and speak authoritatively about things in, in such a way that we, we really shouldn't. And, and Jesus says to this crowd, he says, guys, don't swear on your head, all right? Don't swear on your head because you, you can't even make one little hair on your head black or white. And I know there's a lot of ladies in the room right now saying, I beg to differ. <laughs> uh, but until, until you can actually make that hair on your head grow in the color that you want, where you don't have to touch up the roots, uh, then we'll, we'll stay with what Jesus is saying. Uh, but but he's, he's actually trying to put us in our place because we can kind of get a little arrogant. 
and some of our affirmations and say things in such a way that it's gospel truth when it's really just our opinion. He's reminding us, hey, guys, you, you can't even change the, the one hair, the smallest part of your body. You can't even change it a shade on your own. Don't, don't speak like you have this power and this authority. And he reminds us how small we are. And this is difficult. It's difficult to do because it's okay to have opinions. That's great. It's really good to even have convictions, opinions that you hold really strongly. But we also have to hold them with a a bit of humility. And I understand how hard this is. Uh, A few years ago, uh, we as a staff here at Beacon, we all took the Myers-Briggs assessment. Anybody do the Myers-Briggs personality assessment? A few of you. Uh, I came out as an ENTP, which according to 16personalities.com is the debater. That's my personality. Uh, If you've ever had a heated conversation with me, now you know why. Uh, But this is what 16 Personalities actually says about my personality profile. An odd juxtaposition arises with EMTPs as they are uncompromisingly honest. Sounds good. But will argue tirelessly for something they don't actually believe in, stepping into another's shoes to argue a truth from another perspective. So I like to argue and I like to, uh, all that's to say is I get how easy it is to kind of just say things in such a way that we really shouldn't, that we really should be mindful of knowing our place, knowing how small we are, knowing how little information that we have. Like how easy is it to get into these political conversations as if we know even a slice of what's going on in the world, right? Like we talk, like we really have all the facts and we, we have like this small little sliver that gets filtered through all of these channels and finally gets to us. And, and yet it's easy for us to talk with this kind of authority. And, and you guys know, you probably even have like a friend or something that's probably happened to you, somebody you never even saw it coming, but it only takes like one ignorant post on Facebook from them where you're like, what? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't expect it from them, but you, you, as soon as you see that post, it kind of ruins their credibility for a while. Like it, it kind of, it, it's hard to take them seriously about other things, and this is what happens when we just kind of arrogantly affirm things, and Jesus is saying, guys, don't forget how small you are. It's okay to have these opinions, but, but address these things with humility. Imagine how much different that would look if like in our our political sector, if all of these conversations were done with humility and we kind of take our opinions with a grain of salt, it would be life-changing. But Jesus is is reminding you, you're not so big. Know who you are. Know who he is and know who you are. And, And it's okay to hold these things. Be passionate about them, but also be humble. All right, the the third manifestation is weightless words. And I probably do this more than I realize, and I hate to admit it, admit it but the weightless words, these are the, uh, the well-intentioned, like, hey, let's get together sometime. And you kind of mean it, but it never really happens because you say it, and you know, before you say it, you never actually weigh out what you're saying. You never measure these statements to say, all right, can I actually do this? Am I actually going to do this? We just kind of throw it out there. Right, and you know, it's like, hey, I'll, yeah, sure, I'll be, I'll be there, I'll help you out, and then something else comes up, and, uh, and it's easy to just kind of speak without thinking about it, and these words become weightless. And Jesus says, no, 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 your words matter, yes and no, these words have weight to them, intrinsically. You don't need to add weight to it. Like, I really, really, really mean it this time. If we're trying to add weight to it, that means that we've already lost the weight. Our words have become weightless, 
Because we've too often, we've too often removed that weight by being uh, unreliable, right? And we, we probably all have a friend who kind of does this habitually, that person, and they're great and they're, they're lovely people and they're very well-intentioned and they're always the first one to be like, yeah, I'll be there to help, but they're always the first one to say something came up and you just know, you just know that they're unreliable. They're sweet people, but they're unreliable and their credibility is shot. And I think we all probably struggle with this for different reasons. Like for some of us, we might make these commitments uh, and the issue is we really want to do it, but we just aren't really aware of our capacity or what's on our schedule and maybe we're just disorganized and so that's why uh, we fall into this. I probably fall into that category. Uh, or maybe some of you uh, are people pleasers. Where are my people pleasers in the room? Uh, I, I was actually just asking because I wanted to see if you'd raise your hand, and I knew you would because I asked you and you're people pleasers, which is great. Uh, I had more in the other services. You guys aren't, uh, <clears throat> you guys aren't as uh, yeah, adamant about pleasing me. Uh, <clears throat> but, but the people pleasers, you know, my, my wife is a people pleaser. She won't mind me saying that, but it's hard for her to, like, disappoint people. You know, and they, like that's her natural bent. And so when somebody asks to do something, we just want to say yes because we don't want to disappoint them. But we, we don't weigh what we're committing to. And then when we have to kind of pay for it, we're like, I can't or something came up. Or, uh, but in this way, our words become weightless and our credibility is shot. And, and in all of these, what happens, it's flippant speech in the sense that it's careless. It's not that we're intentionally doing these things, it's not we're always intentionally letting out these little lies or these arrogant affirmations or these weightless words. It just kind of happens on accident because we aren't guarding our words because we don't, we don't really think it's that important. But it is because regardless of how it happens, flippant speech, it erodes credibility. Right? It compromises our credibility. And when our, our credibility is compromised in one area, it actually affects every area. I, I need a volunteer. I need a brave soul. Uh, all right, Chris, come on up, man. All right. Chris, I'm going to have a little uh, timed competition for you. You're competing with yourself. We'll have two rounds. We'll see if you can. Yeah. Uh, so we're just going to lay out these cups real quick. And what I need you to do... Uh, is, here, I'll show you, give an example. So there's, no, no, there's nothing in them. No, this is not a drinking game, Christopher. Oh my goodness, where do you think you are? Uh, so th here's the rules. Uh, you, you can't like grab the cups and move the cups or lift the cups or anything like that, but you just gotta come through, you gotta crush the cup, all right? And what you wanna do is you wanna go through and crush each of these cups as quickly as you possibly can. I'm just gonna pull out the timer real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah, has to be just like that. And you can't, you can't lift the cups or move the cups or do anything with the cups, all right? On your marks, get set. Are you ready? You, you, yeah, you're ready. Yeah. you sure? Yeah. Go. Oh, man. 4.18 seconds. That was the fastest of the day. Fastest of the day. Very, very impressive. So now you have to see if you can beat your time. Actually, we can just leave these up here. Got to beat your time. All right, I'm going to put out seven cups again. All right. Uh, now, the, the one thing that's going to change is under one of the cups is going to be this spike. All right. It's only going to be under one of the cups. All right. Okay. The problem is you don't know which one. So turn that way. Eyes closed. No peeking. This one? Yeah. This one will work. All right. 
move them around a little bit so you don't know. All right, so same rules apply. Same rules apply. You, uh, just so you know, I, my wife's not here anymore, but I actually had the grinder out in my garage yesterday sharpening that, so it's nice and sharp. I am not lying. All right, all right. So you're gonna, same deal, as fast as you can, crush the cups. Are you ready? Yeah. On your marks. Get set. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to make you do this. Oh, my goodness. No, it's still under here, man. <laughs> you, can, you can go sit down. I really used to like No, no, no. It was, it was real. But, but here's the deal. The, the spike was only under one cup. Six of the cups were still fine, right? And yet, if he was about to start this process, he was going in with a very different approach because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how often or how frequent the truth is compromised. If the truth is compromised at all, it doesn't just affect that one situation. It actually affects every other situation because you never know when the truth is going to come up, that the, the lie is going to pop in again. And so even though it was only one time of the seven, right, all of the experience with all of these cups was going to be different for Chris because of that fear, that tension, what's going to come? I don't know when it's going to come, but you know it, it might come at any minute. And this is what happens when we compromise the truth and our, our credibility is shot. Then people know that, that it can come at any time. We're no longer safe. This world is no longer safe and it erodes our interpersonal relationships. It erodes our society. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you could see that what Jesus is saying here, his commitment to uncompromising truthfulness, it makes sense right? Even just from a purely practical perspective, it makes sense for us to do this. But for the follower of Christ, we have an added motivation. Because in this whole section on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is spouting off these different commands. But these commands, they aren't just arbitrary commands that he pulls together to say, like, these will be better for society. I think they would be better for society. But they're, they're more than that. Because at the very end of this chapter, if you guys still have your, your Bibles open, the very end of chapter 5, Jesus concludes this whole section, these, these rewritten commands by Jesus, in verse 48 with a simple statement. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That each of these commands that Jesus is giving is actually leading to this idea of being perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. That what Jesus is trying to do is he's actually trying to cultivate in us a heart that reflects the attributes of God's moral character. And so for each of these, like a couple weeks ago, Robert talking about being reconcilers, that, that we could say, be a reconciler as your heavenly father is a reconciler. And last week with purity, like be radically pure as your heavenly father is radically pure. And today, we're, when we talk about truthfulness, we could say, be uncompromisingly truthful as your heavenly father is uncompromisingly truthful because that's that's who he is this is our father we want to reflect his his character and his goodness and that that there is nothing that jesus commands of us there's nothing that jesus commands of us here that he hasn't already done for us when he went to the cross there's nothing he commands of us that he hasn't already done for us and he's trying to cultivate that character in us but on the other hand all right in this passage that we're looking at today Jesus concludes and he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And he says, anything else comes from where? Anybody still have their Bible open? It comes from the evil one, right? 
It comes from Satan himself, who the scriptures call the father of lies. So Jesus is saying, yes, follow these commands and you'll be like your father in heaven. But anything else comes from Satan, the father of lies. And many of you will remember the story of Adam and Eve. You go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. You have the story of Adam and Eve. And it talks about them rebelling against God, original sin. And, you know, most of this this probably isn't new for most of you. But it all started with Satan coming into the, the garden. And it started with him lying to Adam and Eve. You think about this, sin entered the world. All of the brokenness we experience in this world, all of it started not with murder, not with adultery, not with stealing. It started with a lie. Satan comes in and he lies to Adam and Eve and the world breaks. In fact, when the Apostle Paul recounts this in Romans 1, he says that the problem with this world is that we as humanity, we exchange the truth about God for a lie. It all started with a lie. And it's not just that Satan lied, but it's what he lied about. Because he lied to them and he got them to question God's truthfulness. He actually got them to, to think that God is the one who was the liar. And in the end, they disobeyed God and everything, everything in this world broke because of a lie. Because of a lie. The father of lies. But then God responds. Our heavenly father enters into the situation and he tells Adam and Eve, there's going to be consequences for what you did. And they're, they're steep, they're severe. But in the midst of the consequences, he also interjects a promise. And he promises that one day a son will come and that son is going to crush that lying serpent's head once and for all. But in the process, that the serpent is going to strike his heel and he will die. And all these years later, you have Jesus stepping into the scene. He is the promised son. And he goes to crush that serpent's head and it leads him to the cross. And you realize that, that all of this started, Jesus went to the cross and he was pierced in hands and feet and he suffered and died for our salvation. But it all started with a promise because the, the world broke through a lie and God is fixing it through a promise because God is truthful. And even when it meant, even when it meant going to the cross, that's what God's, God's promise meant. It meant sending his son to the cross, but he wasn't going to back down. He wasn't going to take back his word because he is, he is truthful. Every statement he makes, every promise, he will always back up because it's who he is. He is the truth. In fact, the, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. He is a God of truth. And truthfulness is so much a, a, an essential to our salvation. His truthfulness is what brought about our salvation. So we have these two fathers, the father of lies and our heavenly father who's committed to uncompromising truthfulness. And the question for us becomes, who's your daddy? <laughs> who's your daddy? Are we going to, to follow the father of lies and bring out that family resemblance? Because it's not just through lies, but it's, it's even anytime the truth is compromised through our flippant speech, we are actually resembling that father, the father of lies. But when we pursue this uncompromising truthfulness, what's cultivating in us is the resemblance to our heavenly father, because we have been adopted. Satan is no longer our father, but it doesn't mean we don't look like him still. But when we commit ourselves to this uncompromising truthfulness, knowing that that's who our father is and that, that is who, he's just awesome, 
it, it changes us. And it brings out of us the, the truthfulness that actually makes a difference in this world. Because there is a kind of truthfulness that can make a difference. See, we have this freedom in Christ. As followers of Christ, we have this freedom in Jesus. And this freedom is completely rooted on God's truthfulness and his faithfulness, right? If we thought for a moment that God was not going to be faithful to what he has promised, our, our assurance of salvation would just go out the window, we have this freedom in Christ because he's truthful, and we can bring that same freedom into other people's lives when we are able to come in as, as truthful, credible people who root out any lies or any deceit in our lives, when we're uncompromising in our, our truthfulness and our faithfulness. And we know this is what the world needs more of, right? We see we're inundated with lies left and right. Nobody knows who to trust. What if we were trustworthy? because we are uncompromisingly truthful. You saw as, as Chris went through you know, the, the first round, there's so much freedom. He just went. It was like there was, was no thought to it. There's freedom when you know what you're going to get. But as soon as the spike was introduced, there was this hesitation. There was this fear. And, and are we the types of people that are safe, that, we're, that people can interact with us with this freedom, knowing that we are uncompromisingly truthful? Is this who we are? Are we becoming like our heavenly father, perfect as he is? Let me invite you to stand uh, as we pray. And I'm gonna... uh, father, we are so grateful uh, to know that you are uh, uncompromisingly truthful. God, that there's no statement you made that you won't back up. There's no promise you made that you won't follow through on, that we can rely on you, we can count on you. And God, I pray that for us that we will we will remember how small we are when we express our opinions, that we won't, uh, we won't say things with a, uh, arrogance and bravado and that we understand what we do know and what we don't know and, and be humble in that. And I, I pray that we will also uh, weigh every word, God, that we won't just speak without thinking, without considering the cost, God, because we know what it costs you. We know what it costs you to stay true to your promise. And we know that you never back down. And God, I pray that we'd also understand that you are, you are involved in every area of life. There's nothing too big for you and there's nothing too small for you. You know it all, you see it all, and you care about it all. And I pray that we would get rid of any, any sort of ideas that, that there is big lies and little lies, God, that we would be so committed to being true, credible, reliable people, faithful as you are faithful, perfect as you are perfect. And God, I know this is absolutely impossible without your spirit working in us and through us. So I just pray that your spirit will empower each of us to actually be perfect as you, our, our perfect heavenly father is. We love you and we trust you with all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go out, it is our hope and our prayer that you are, you're putting these things into practice and that you guys are becoming uncompromisingly truthful as your heavenly father is. Amen. Thanks so much.